I'm not pulling out of the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. Okay, I've been doing a lot of interviews and that's not going to stop. So today I brought from the past, from R&D's past, uh, Wolf Werpert. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? <laughs> so, Worth, um, okay, so we're going to start where we always start, is talking about how you got into magic. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it begins at the beginning. Um, I walked into a comic shop in 1993 when I happened to be a, in between my senior year, just about to start my freshman year of college, and, and found some people playing on a table. Uh, I was a D&D guy and a comics guy uh, forever, and obviously loved games, too, so I was instantly hooked. And sort of from there, the rest is history. I, I bought some cards and started playing and, and then found the Pro Tour, which I'm sure we'll probably get into a little <laughs> bit more later in, in the segment, um, which got me the attention of all of you guys. And then uh, whatever it was, seven years from there, a uh, little little less than seven years from there, I started working at Wizards. Okay, but, well, yeah. we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's, go, let's back yeah, up a little yeah, bit. Okay, yeah. so, so interesting. You and I are from the same place. I don't know if the audience knows this, but we're both from Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, we grew up, um, what, half an hour from each other? Not even, probably. Oh, less than that, I think. Yeah, 20 um, minutes. So anyway, so you started playing when you were in high school. Um, so what's the gap between that and you getting to the Pro Tour? How much time elapsed before you started playing on the Pro Tour? Well, I mean, literally when I – so I was in California of all places um, staying with a girl and uh, in the summer. So it was right after Gen Con 93. And I'm assuming – I actually think the, the folks I saw playing might have been at Gen Con and brought cards back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was – I had just graduated high school, whatever it was, that previous June was about to start college um so i don't know technically i was in the in the betweens um but uh but yeah it was like from the very beginning so i was playing and 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 loved the game enough that in the cards were hard to find back in the day um anything was hard to find uh because it was so popular and so i just kept searching com and you know you you know me well enough your listeners might not but like i'm (laughs) i'm the guy who likes to collect things and sort of I've been described as the man who knows how to get things uh, more by more than one person. So I just I, I fell in love with every bit of the aspect of magic, from the collectability part of it to the game was obviously uh, transcendent. So I, I just spent my next few months trying to gather cards and find people to play with at Penn State, and was sort of failing at that. Um, and then the gray matter stuff started happening in New York, and Brian Dave Marshall and, and Neutral Ground and, and Glenn and those guys um, they started putting on actual tournaments, and I'm very competitive too. Always been a team sports guy, so. I was started driving by myself from State College up to New York, and I, I met, you know, the, we may touch on this later too, but I met a bunch of my future best friends, which is, you know, all the folks from Cornell, like Bakula and Finkel and Dave Price and Tony Sy and those guys. So we met, we all started hanging out at Gray Matters, um, which were, you know, for your listeners that don't know, but sort of like the tournaments of the, the only real tournaments of the day that had any kind of prizes behind them. And, and so, yeah, it was like I, I started doing that. I want to I want to say it was 94, 95, and then the Pro Tour started. So real quick, I want to jump into a little history before we get to the Pro Tour. So um, this is in New York. So uh, if, if people have ever heard of Neutral Ground, uh, Neutral Ground was, I don't know how to describe it, but a, a game store that really, Becca. yeah, really specialized. It was, it was in downtown New York, and it specialized yeah. in playing. You know, you could come and play, and they had a lot of space for playing. Uh, and... Now game stores do that. At the time, that was kind of a new thing. That wasn't really how game stores functioned. Um, and Gray Matter was the like tournament wing oh, yeah, of oh, of Neutral yeah. Ground. The, the same oh. guys, that, Brian David Marshall, um, was one of the people who ran it. And uh, so anyway, that was the first big tournament series and stuff that was run when i know when scaff and i were talking about doing the pro tour we modeled we looked at gray matter a lot because that was one of the ones that was really successful and so from a little bit this 
I like getting to magic history. You were very much part of this very early part, you know, one of the first real tournament scenes before Wizards got in the business of doing tournaments. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, for a kid in college that, you know, at the time I was maybe a sophomore or something, so 94, 95, like, it's you, I grew up in a small town and you get your freedom and and you sort of have, your life is your own for the first time. And I just, the whole concept, well, magic was awesome. But then the idea that I could like go to class during the week and then bug out on a Saturday, because New York was only like four hours from State College. Um, and I could just bug out on a Saturday, play magic literally for like 48 hours straight. Um, a lot, oftentimes not even sleep on Saturday night, just kind of hang out and just play dress all night or whatever. And, and just those guys, like it, it, it is as bonding an experience as you can possibly have when you're all sort of at the very leading edge of this brand new thing. And, and Brian and Glenn, uh, should just like, they, whatever credit they get, it's probably not enough because it is it, that, that scene was so awesome back in the nineties. It just made you want to keep playing more and more magic. Okay. So let's get from this to, uh, the pro tour. So how did you first learn about the Pro Tour? <laughs> uh, how did I learn about it? I think I might have – so uh, back before the internet was really the internet, there was this thing called um, – what the heck was it? Rec.games.tradingcards.magic, uh, which was Usenet, I think it was called. Yeah, the Usenet. Um, and for for – I'm very old. But uh, for, for those of you that don't even understand what that is, it's kind of like a forums or a bulletin board before the internet is such as it – it's like – it's like if you can imagine Reddit less fancy than it is even. Reddit's not very fancy. Um, that's kind of what it was. And it was a place It was uh, we wanted to gather, right? There was no other place to, to get the community together. I heard somebody mention it in passing. And, and the first Pro Tour is actually kind of a funny story because I was jazzed, obviously, um, to do that. It was in New York. Like it was everything I wanted. There was prizes. It was a big deal. And I tried to call. And, and either I didn't have the right phone number or I couldn't get through or whatever. And so I just didn't. The, the way you signed up for the first Pro Tour, if you didn't get one of the 30 invites or whatever it was that you guys sent out, was you just called in. And so I, for some reason, could not get my phone to work, and I didn't get in. All my friends at State College did, and they didn't even care like one-tenth about magic that I did. But like, I went up to New York with probably three friends from Penn State that, that didn't care about magic really at all. They're playing in the Pro Tour, and I'm just like dying in the corner because I can't play. I helped them. I built all their decks. I play-tested all their decks. Like, And so – at that point, I was mad, right? Like, I, I like this is so dumb. I, I didn't get in, you know, Pro Tour. You guys can have it. I, I'm not interested anymore. Well, obviously, that lasted like one Pro Tour when I realized my little protest was not going to cancel the Pro Tour. So I'm like, all right, well, all right, you you win, Wizards. You win this time. I'll try to win a qualifier for PT3, which I believe was Columbus. Yeah, time. PT3 was Columbus. Okay, yeah. So that was my first actual Pro Tour. I saw PTLA2 come and go and of course sitting at my house or sitting in my dorm room i just wished i was there so i'm like all right i give uh, and so i actually won a, i think a couple of qualifiers i think back in the day you could play as many as you wanted um and then uh pt3 was like i hopped on and sort of never hopped off uh, at that point okay so pt3 was columbus that's your first pro tour so how'd you do how'd you do your first pro tour Oh, uh, boy, I should know the answer to this exactly, but I don't. I think it's like 36th or something like that. Not too bad. Uh, I want to say in between 32 and 64, I think. So, um, yeah, so that, by the way, that was uh, it was a weird pro tour because not only were we running the pro tour, but we were running U.S. Nationals. And, like, basically we interspersed them in, the, in the, like, two days for the, this and two days for that, and the finals was half and half, and it, it was a weird tournament. 
Yeah, um, they were they were all kind of weird back in the day. Even the first Pro Tour was weird, right? Like you guys set it up with the restrictions and, and that kind of stuff. So Yeah, we also it got delayed. The first one got delayed because of a snowstorm. There's a lot of early quirky <laughs> things. Okay, I so trek, trekking through the blizzard, yeah. Okay, so um I think that uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because you'll know this. I believe was LA your first big was that like your first uh sizable win? Yeah. Um, you mean L.A. much later. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. L.A. The, so, Steve so O'Mass at L.A. A few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, on the Pro Tour for about three years, and then, yeah, L.A. was my first top eight. I was kind of the guy that, like, I had at one point, I think I had the most top 16s of anybody, um, that not, not including top eighters. Like, I was always the guy that would get close and fail. So I have, like, an 11th and a 9th and a 14th and that kind of thing. And, yeah, you and Chalice, he did that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was it was um, it was very frustrating. I couldn't quite get over the hump, and and I got in my own head about it. As you, I don't know if you even remember this, but I think at one point I had a feature match losing streak. You know, you know, Mark picks the feature. I don't know if you still do, but like Mark picks the feature matches uh, all throughout the tournament, and I think I was zero and fourteen or something at one point. Yeah, yeah. Match. So I remember this because one of the big things was I would pick the feature matches. I I've been in the Pro Tour in ages, but back when I went to the Pro Tour, I used to do the feature matches, uh, and. When I pick someone, the big question was, could they could they reject it? Could they say no? Um, and you really, really, really didn't want me in the feature match. And I was like, I was like, come on, worth you got to just break break the streak, and then, and then you, it won't be a big thing anymore. Um, yeah, and, uh, I, and, and that was actually the tournament where I made the top eight. Was the first time I broke the streak. So yeah. in a way, you were right. I, I should have <laughs> probably just hung in there and, and thought about it differently a little sooner than I did. But yes, it all worked out in LA. I think it was ninety nine. Would have been 98. 98 or 99, one of the two. Right, okay, uh, so you, you made your first top eight. Um, yeah. And that, so uh, I remember because you made you and Stephen Homoni Schwartz and John Finkel all made the top eight, which were all friends with each other, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So great, good friends. And the table was very was crazy. In fact, I remember the table layout exactly. It was Rochester Drafts, um, which to this day remains my favorite draft format. I believe the most skill-intensive draft format. But seat one was Steve-O. Um, I believe seat one was Steve O, seat two was John, seat three was me, seat four was a guy named Terry Lau, seat five was uh, somebody who I don't recall, and then on the other side uh, of the table was Mike. Was it Mike Long? Mike Long. For sure, Mike Long. <laughs> yeah, Mike, Pat Chapin and since uh, Fenspar Gerson. Yeah. Um, so it was a pretty pretty heavy duty table for the time, and and John and all I remember is you know Steve ends up mono black, John ends up blue white. I end up red green and the secret to Rochester draft for those folks who have never done it is you kind of, it's all out in the, in, in the open. So there's no secrets. Well, let, no, let me explain real quickly what Rochester draft is just for yeah, those who don't know good. is you open up the booster pack and you lay it out. So all 15 cards are laid out and you take turns picking one and you, 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 what they call snake, meaning you go one through eight and then uh, eight back. So the, whoever takes the last pick gets a second pick and then you, you snake back and then you keep rotating who starts with it. So it's a draft in which everything is known. Every pick is known. So go, go ahead. Yeah. So, and I, I was always of the opinion and John and Steve were too. And obviously just in general, we talked about strategy all the time for stuff like this, that the way to win in these types of things was to do your best to play nice. Um, and as you can see, especially with the people right next to you, uh, as you can see from Steve ended up mono black, John blue, white, myself, red, green, we weren't fighting amongst the three of us for, for cards. Uh, and that matters a lot when you're talking about the overall quality of your deck. Now on the other, on the other side of the table, <laughs> that mandate did not get through. They were, it was a, it was crazy. Uh, they were shipping each other for 
for every possible day, they were changing colors halfway through. And, and, and it's funny because the guy on the left of me, Terry Lau, he, he got it immediately. He knew what was going on. He knew John and Finkel and myself were like not going to ship each other. So he just was very content to, to take sort of what came to him naturally after the three of us had picked. And so our four decks, I believe, were the best four decks at the table. And it was no coincidence that we ended up – Steve won the tournament. I think John was second and I was third. So it sort of bore out the way we thought it would. Be. But, uh, but yeah, it was an interesting time. Okay, so you, how long were you on the Pro Tour? Um, I guess technically I did miss I – missed, I was not qualified for Rome, the, the Rome where the academies were running wild. Um, I went to Rome to, to hang out in Rome – yeah. Uh, with all my friends and to play the qualifier at Rome, which I won um, to get back on the pro tour. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that was, I guess, what if, whatever, from PT three to the last, till I went to wizards at New York in 2000 was my last one. Okay. So how did you get from playing on the pro tour to working at wizards? Uh, well, you called me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that was the start of it. You, you and Scaff both called me and um, you guys had at the time um, for folks that are old enough to remember in the early two thousands, Everything that was an IP wanted a trading card game. Anything, any kind of IP, there was a licensed trading card game. And so Wizards, obviously, with Magic and at the time Pokemon, they were the first stop for anybody looking to, for a brand looking to make a trading card game out of their thing. Uh, and so Wizards was signing licenses, you know, nonstop. Some of those licenses turned out to be sports games. Um, and I've had a lifelong affiliation for team sports. I'm a huge hoops fan. I played basketball twice a week. Uh, for 20 years, uh, that has gone by the wayside, unfortunately, in the last couple. But anyway, my point is I love sports. And at the time, the geeks hadn't quite taken over the mainstream yet. Um, I think Harry Potter was just out and The Matrix was just out. But like Lord of the Rings wasn't a thing yet. And and just the general sort of Marvel certainly wasn't. And the, the general takeover of geek culture into the mainstream hadn't happened. So the folks who understood, like, you know, what a how to get a first down or what a three-pointer is or what does can of corn mean in baseball? Like the, the, and also understood magic and trading card games at a deep level, that pool of people was very small. Um, and so that was sort of my end. Uh, Scaff knew that I was a big sports guy and you knew that I had, to, well, you both knew that I had some, some magic skill and whatnot. So that sort of dovetailed into a job offer to come work on licensed games at Wizards, which started off as I was working on magic, but I was also the guy running all of the licensed sports games for Wizards early on from R&D. Okay, so, uh, so your, your first... You, you have uh, your career in uh, Wizards. You moved around a little bit, so we'll we'll start with your time in R and D. Um, yeah. Okay, so this is your magic time, right? This is where, well, where you're making magic sets. I mean, obviously yeah. later on you, you'll interact with magic, obviously, but uh, yeah. So this is your time where you're actually making sets. So um, I have you. This is what I have you done. You you designed uh, Scourge. So you're yeah. on you're on two design teams, Scourge and Masters Edition. So Scourge, I remember. Um, so I, I know you have some Scourge stories because. Uh, you, you and I, you and I intersect on Scourge. <laughs> yeah, you you were very helpful to me as a I'll say fledgling designer, but man, that is that's that's doing a lot of work. That phrase. I I was not I wasn't even a particularly good Magic developer, let alone designer. And so I I really wanted to try. And to Bill's credit, uh, he he decided he'd let me. He he and Brian Tinsman were my cohorts on Scourge, and and really it was like Brian did most of the work, Bill did the second most, and then like way down at the bottom was like me contributing. I don't know. 20 or 30 cards, something like that. Um, and even that is loose because like you said, you and I crossed over, I would, I would be sitting at my desk and just thinking to myself, geez, how does Mark do this for like 300 cards 
three times a year or something like that. And so I eventually, I'm like, well, Mark, the time you sat right behind me. Yeah. And, and so, um, <laughs> and so I would just ask you various questions and stuff on like how to make cards or what you thought this should be or, and you helped me design what is one of my favorite cards of all time, which is CG and commander. Um, I remember, I don't know exactly how the conversation started, but I, I said something like I wanted a goblin that, that threw goblins and, 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 like did stuff with brought a whole bunch of goblins with them and did stuff when you know used them in a way goblins should use things. Um, so you and I helped you you helped me arrive at CGN Commander and then obviously I just made ambush. I think ambush commander was the elf that did the yeah. same type of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but yeah, there are a few cards in Scourge I'm really proud of and, and you know it was like uh, I was happy to not have to do design work that like that anymore because I really wasn't that good at it. But I I had a couple. I think I designed uh, Eternal Dragon was mine. Um, the War Chief cycle was mine, and the, the Goblin War Chief was probably another card that I was really proud of. In fact, when I submitted that card, you know, I was more of a, a player and a developer than a designer, so I even submitted that card exactly as it stands printed, except it was a 2-1. And I, I even said in my notes when I su- was submitted that card, I think this is a little too powerful as costed, but I'll let you guys work it out because, you know, development's job at the time was to figure out how much stuff should cost. Yeah. Um, and then the, all they did was added a point of toughness and shipped it. <laughs> So, you know, uh, whatever. <laughs> That's happened before. And look, I've been on the other side of that, too. I've definitely made cards too good that were already good being handed from design. So, um, but yeah, there was Stifle. I, I don't remember if Stifle was mine or Brian's. Wirewood Symbiote was was my homage to Quarian Ranger, which I loved. Um, and so my I, I was just too derivative with the stuff I did. Design's really hard. Uh, and so I was too derivative and it wasn't really my thing. But it was a heck of a lot of fun. Okay, now that was your only uh, that and Masters Edition were your only designs. Yeah. Um, you did a bunch of development, um, so I'm going to name them off, and you can jump in. And if you have a story from any one of them, is good. So uh, okay. you worked on Judgment, Onslaught, Legions, Fifth Dawn, and Saviors of Kamigawa. Yeah, so so those are some crazy sets. Uh, Legions for the, for your fans who don't know is a hundred percent creatures. Yep. Uh, it was the first time. So literally no spells, no artifacts, nothing. All creatures. Um, we kind of cheated a little bit. We used some cycling effects on creatures to get around the no spells thing. Yeah. When you cycle, it does X, usually related to some tribal thing. Um, but in that design team, or excuse me, development team, um, it, I think it was me, Elaine. Chase, William Jockish, and Mike Elliott, who was the lead, Mike Elliott. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he got mad uh, because with Acroma, it's the set that Acroma, the first Acroma Angel of Wrath is from. Yeah. And he, he made some comment about, uh, in Multiverse, which was the tool we used to track things back then, like, talking about Acroma, he made some comment that, it, that all we were doing was just, we just kept adding keywords. And I remember I saw that, and I'm like, well, you think we've added keywords now? And then I just added, like, three or four more keywords <laughs> to see, to see if he would even care or notice or whatever. And so Elaine and William thought it was hilarious. Um, and eventually we just convinced him, I think just through force of the will of the three of us saying, no, we should print this with as many keywords as we can. I think at the time it was the card with the creature with the most keywords ever. It's probably not true anymore, but, um, but yeah, if you look at a chroma, she has a lot of keywords on her. She does. Yes, she does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so in judgment was my, I'll go back one more judgment was my first, first set at all. Um, and sort of, I was, I was probably a couple months into my tenure at the company and I remember getting handed the judgment file, which, you know, even, even getting handed a file at that point, which was a year or two out is the coolest thing to ever happen to anybody. Like for a guy that's been in magic for seven years and someone comes by and hands you this thing of this new set. Um, and I forget who the lead was on that set. I want to say it was William Jockish, same William Jockish, but, uh, but it was the first time we were trying to do the, um, the, 
you guys had a name for them the the choice cards the like book burning and browbeat and oh yeah yeah we call them um what do we call those uh It'll come to me. There, there's yeah, a name for them. Both of our memories are probably too bad to remember, but but like it was a very interesting because those those cards are always oh Punisher like, the Punisher Punisher mechanic. Punisher that's what yeah. it was yeah, yeah. good memory uh, but yeah so it was like it was a lot of discussion around how how much you can actually push those and have them still be still so be so so real quick for people that don't know what we're talking about um there are cards in which it says do thing A or uh, take a certain amount of damage. And the opponent got to choose which of them you got to do. Yeah. Uh, and A could be anything. There are things that Red didn't even do. But because you could opt in to B, you couldn't, you know. So Red was like, I don't know. Point's a good example. It was a Wrath. Yeah. Yeah, it was like Wrath or Take Six or something like that. Yeah. And then there's uh, one drawing cards, right? Book Burning was drawing cards. Browbeat. Browbeat. Browbeat was drawing cards. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So at the time, Red really didn't really draw cards at all. Yeah. Uh, not even not even looting like it does now. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a really interesting sort of first foray into development for the new guy. You also judgment for those that don't remember, um, torment the set right before it. We had leaned into black so that there were more black cards and everything else, and there were less green and white cards, which is black's enemy. And then judgment, there was more green and white cards and less black cards. Um, yeah. That that's an experiment we didn't run. I mean, we ran once and then said, <laughs> let's not do that again. But uh, yeah, for for all for the best, I believe. <laughs> okay, so. You worked in R&D for a while, but at some point you're, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try something other than R&D. So the next place you went is the brand team. So let's talk a, 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 just a smidgen. I know you didn't spend super long on the brand team, but what Yeah. What was the brand team like? So so actually really quickly before I even went to the brand team, it is not accurate to say I went of my own volition. Bill, who is one of one of my mentors and remains a friend to this day, uh, he, he called me into his office and said, look, man. You know, you're you're an average to above average developer. We need, you know, these types of folks on our bench. And you're kind of welcome here as long as you want. But I think you're being wasted. Um, he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself yet. And he knew that I was a, a better fit for Wizards and I'd be happier long term in a business role. Um, I Before I had come to Wizards, uh, one of the parts of the story I didn't tell was that I was in an MBA program and I wanted to be a law, uh, uh, go to law school to be a sports agent. So I'm a business guy, like my family has run small companies. So that's just kind of in my, I'm the lemonade stand kid. Um, and Bill knew that. And to his credit, he's one of the best I've ever seen at sort of putting people in the right seat. And he, he I was pushed out of the nest. I did not <laughs> leave the nest willingly. Um, so he's like, go to Brandon, figure it out. Uh, and it was set up as like this kind of thing where you can come back if you want to. But anyway, I get to Brandon yeah. um, and realize pretty quickly what I don't want to do, which is traditional marketing work. Uh, agency work by at the time, you know, buying media on websites and stuff like that, uh, running marketing budgets, that kind of thing. So I realized pretty quickly that wasn't for me. But thankfully, at the end of that sort of couple was it 18 month period, um, the person who was in charge of Magic Online, Justin Zaran, was leaving the company for for another opportunity. And at the time, the, the business was very small, um, but it, it sort of had no no expectations. Uh, Magic Online started in 2002, but it just had never really gotten off the ground the way we wanted. Um, so somebody, I forget actually who even handed that to me. It might have been Casey Reader um, had said, hey, look, Justin's leaving. We have this thing. Um, do you want to take a crack at running it? Because you're more of a product guy than a marketer. And, and I said, sure. And that kicked off the next whatever decade-ish of... <laughs> of me being the magic online guy in air quotes that none of you guys can see. So let's, let's all talk about magic online. So, uh, what is that like? So I, I talk a lot about tabletop magic. I talk a little bit about digital, but let's, let's get into digital magic. Uh, 
What what's it like running Magic Online? Uh, well, it was a, it was an interesting opportunity because it not only it so my time with Magic Online dovetailed with the sort of rise of social media, and was Twitter, Reddit, like Facebook, all that stuff, and so. Um, and I'll, and I'll stick in some comments about duels and planeswalkers here too, because I think that's relevant as well. But, but basically what happened was in, I think it was 08 or 09, uh, 08, uh, I, I got a hold of the reins of magic online for real and, you know, looked at it and just said, you know, why, why is this business not what we want it to be? And so I tried, you know, my best to fill in where we could. And you mentioned Masters Edition. That was one of the things that one of the first things that I came back to build with, like, let's make a new product that we can only do online, um, that only makes sense really online. And that's how Masters Edition 1, 2, 3, and 4 were born. And, and, it, and it fills me with joy, by the way, every time I see something named Masters, because I know <laughs> where it came from, you know, like that we've leaned into that branding and, and it, it doesn't mean exactly the same thing as it used to. Um, but I do, I do have a, a little bit of like, uh, I don't know, joy, I guess, happiness whenever I see that happen, because we, we started making products for digital, for the digital space that really can only exist in the digital space. Momir Vig is another good example. Uh, we leaned into that a little bit. And for those of you that don't know what Momir Vig is on online, you can do a bunch of stuff you can't do in paper, right? You, you, all the admin tasks are taken care of for you. There's no shuffling. Um, and so Momir Vig is a, is a format with a 60-card deck of land that you get. Uh, essentially, you can pay X and discard a card from your hand, always a land, to summon a random creature of converted mana cost X. So you have this tension of like playing your lands out. There's no way to draw cards because your decks are all land. Um, and so you kind of are at the mercy of the variance wheel. But it's a, it's a fun way to spend uh, you know, a couple of hours playing Magic in a different way. So that's what started Magic Online and sort of poking around at the things we could do. Um, and then, you know, over the next decade or so, um, we sort of made Magic Online. It looks very similar today to the way I left it in, when I left Wizards in 2017. And it caters to the same type of people, I think, that, um, that Arena doesn't and can't cater to, which is the folks who prefer, you know, older cubes. Every card, with a couple of exceptions, every card that's ever been printed in Magic is available on Magic Online. Which blows my mind, honestly. Having been through software development now at, at another company after I left Wizards, I went to Blizzard for a couple of years. Like the fact that that all works is is honestly just mind blowing to me. Um, the number of unique Magic cards uh, that all worked on Magic Online. So um, I did want to tell a story about duels in there. Do you want me to just start telling it, or sure, you want sure, to talk about? Okay, uh, okay. so well, 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 quickly, Duels of the Planeswalker was uh, a program that we made. Uh, where, where, where was it playable? It was on its console. First, First, it was on Xbox, yeah. First on Xbox. And anyway, it was, it was meant as our introductory digital product at the time. Um, so anyway, okay, go ahead. Yeah, so one of the things we realized with Magic Online was that it was aimed at very, very hardcore folks. Um, in fact, there were, there were parts of the program that were like actively pushing you to not want to deal with this if you weren't the, the type of person like me who would basically give anything to play Magic on the computer. Um, and we realized that was limiting for us in a lot of ways. And because it was Magic Online was built in 2002, we had a lot of sort of built in what we call technical debt or limitations that we were trying to deal with. But then we realized there's this whole, as the rise of social media started to happen, and I hopped on Twitter. In fact, I just looked before we got on, at MTG Online is still technically my account. It was the very first, I think it was created like day five of Twitter existing. And, um, and I used to take like questions from the community and like get feedback there. And I synthesized all of that stuff, uh, both there and on Reddit and other places. I realized we had this massive untapped market of folks who really wanted to, to get back into magic. Um, the folks who have like 
put a, who have a box of cards under their parents' bed at home and had gone to college or then gotten a job or gotten married or whatever, but would love to be able to tag back in sort of on their own time on a, on a platform that isn't a PC. And so we put together this program called Dozel Planeswalkers, and we launched it initially on Xbox in the summer of 2009, uh, came to P- PC through Valve um, uh, later and, and PS3 later, and then eventually to every platform that would have us, iPads and phones and Amazon and you know, everything. And, uh, and it really, it, it kind of, we had the tiger by the tail there because it, that duels launch, the sort of dovetail of that with um, when Aaron redid all of the, what's the sort of the, the set, the core set that, re, that rebooted everything. Oh, Magic 2010. Yeah, Magic 2010. And at the same time, had we had as a company decided uh, for organized play to move events, the big PTQ events sort of pushed them back towards stores. So all of these three things were, were funneling players into stores and, and sort of creating this hype around Magic that had not existed in the, in, in a while. Um, it, Magic was, we, we kind of gave Magic a super boost at that time. And I just... The, the, it was like trying to hang on to a rocket. We would walk into a store. I remember I was on a store visit in Europe and the, and the store owner came to me and he said, I don't know what you guys did exactly to get all of these people to start showing up in my store, but I hope you do it every time you release a set. And obviously you can't do that. But the point was like, he almost had more customers than he could handle. And if you're, if you're hearing something like that from a, from a store owner, that's like the best possible thing you could hear. Right. So yeah, we're you know, duels, duels, and and the Magic twenty ten design, and the sort of push from big events into stores. I think just very, very uh, serendipitous confluence of events there. Yeah, just for a little history, uh, Magic's been on kind of a ten year climb, uh, where just we've been just every year has been the best year we've ever had. You know, for like ten years. What uh, one year I think we were off by two percent, but other than that, we've had a ten year streak where every year was better than the year before, and that started. That you're talking about where that started. So yeah. that was like kind of the begin of the. The ascent, if you will. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I am almost to my desk, so uh, uh, we have to wrap up here. So, uh, worth any final thoughts? Um, I just it, it thrills me now that I'm you know three and a half years or so clear of it all to to see my oldest son is seventeen. He loves playing arena. Um, I, I've taken him to the local store. We've played two headed giant events a couple of times. Um, I just I love the fact that it that magic is continually growing and evolving. You guys keep innovating. The new stuff is really cool. Um, I just I, I love to see it. I, I, owe, I told Richard a long time ago, I owe magic a far greater debt than it, I could ever hope to repay. I, 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 it's given me my life, my career, my friends, my family, security, all of it. So I just I, I love the fact that people are so passionate about it and, and still are to this day. And I hope it continues forever. Okay, well, guys, I am now at my desk, so we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So thanks for joining us, Worf. Sure thing. And everyone, I'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.